And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. What a great nation it is when you have an election that is so confusing, so contradictory, so full of surprises and unpredictable elements that regardless of which side you're on, whether you're a backer of Donald Trump and you want to see a return of Trumpism in the White House and maybe that wall will get finished, probably that wall would get finished, and who knows what else would befall the country with Trump as president. And certainly a lot of people have no idea what to expect uh, with Biden as president if he wins. Uh, the point being that if you look at the new polls, if you take a look at what is going on and all of the analysis here and all of these surveys, they're contradictory. Uh, there's good news today for Joe Biden. Uh, there's very good news for Donald Trump. Uh, there's more speculation about the list of running mates for Donald Trump. Uh, President Biden also let it be known today that he plans to meet with the widow of Alexei Navalny. Uh, that's Yulia Navalnaya. And their daughter, Dasha, who knew they had a daughter named Dasha. I have a sister. Well, I have a my, my brother's son is married to a Dasha. So she becomes a niece-in-law, I guess. In any event, uh, Dasha, uh, the daughter of Navalnaya and of uh, the late uh, Russian dissident Alexei Navalny, uh, she is a student at Stanford University, and uh, they are going to meet with the President of the United States. Uh, the meeting was not previously reported and didn't appear on Biden's official White House schedule. Uh, Navalny's daughter is a student at Stanford University. Uh, and what did uh, Trump had to say? I like political prisoners who stay alive. No, he didn't say that. Uh, he's... He's been largely quiet uh, on the Navalny killing other than comparing himself to Navalny without quite going to the extent of comparing Joe Biden to Vladimir Putin. Uh, Trump has so many times said that Putin is a really, really smart guy, that he's really brilliant and he's really formidable. Of course he's not going to compare uh, uh, Biden to uh, to to Putin because he would feel that that was giving Biden some kind of a compliment. There is a new analysis by Joel Kotkin, who is a very skilled demographer at Chapman University. He's going to be joining us, saying that he believes that things are pulling in a Republican direction in this uh, current electoral conflict. And it's not just between Trump and Biden, two personalities. It's between two different opposite directions for the parties in terms of class and in terms of a position in the economy, where the former bastion of the Democratic Party, the working class, the American labor union members, the uh, people who... Uh, worked in factories and uh, ran small businesses. That was always the very heart of the Democratic uh, coalition. And now it's a very different coalition. 
because it features people from Wall Street and people in academia and people in the entertainment industry and the media, whereas the Republicans uh, have also uh, created a very different kind of coalition, uh, basing it much more on those middle-class, working-class Americans. Is this going to work? How is this going to function as part of the election of 2024? We'll be talking about that with uh, Joel Kotkin concerning a uh, very, very impressive piece he's written arguing that pocketbook concerns override racial resentment in the current political climate. And that, of course, would be good news for Republicans at every level. Uh, There's also more on the fallout that we spoke about yesterday in Maryland, where all of a sudden the Democrats are terribly worried about defending a Senate seat that they thought was a gimme. They thought it was all locked up because Maryland's a very heavily Democratic state. But it turns out that two-term governor, Republican moderate uh, Larry Hogan, is running uh, well ahead and solidly ahead of his potential Democratic rivals in the state of Maryland. We are uh, also going to be speaking later today about Ukraine. Uh, there's a piece we have a, 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 about Ukraine that a perceptive writer uh, hit on 11 years ago about how strange it was that at the time we were deeply obsessed with the upsurge uh, in the streets and the local revolution in Egypt where they were uh, getting rid of Hosni Mubarak who eventually died in prison and Hosni Mubarak was being uh, replaced by a Muslim Brotherhood kind of candidate in Egypt. We paid all kinds of attention to that. That was the Arab Spring. But we were less concerned about Ukraine, which this writer uh, indicated 11 years ago was absolutely central to America's future and to our future security and to our future alliances. That writer, by the way, was me. Uh, We have a feature called Throwback Thursday where we go back and look at some of the stuff that I've written. Uh, Some of it 20 years ago, some of it five years ago, some of it like this piece 11 years ago. Uh, you can read it at our Substack uh, uh, home uh, at michaelmedved.substack.com. Uh, we are also going to be speaking to Daniel Henninger about uh, Ukraine and World War III and why this situation really is increasingly like Hitler and Munich and appeasement. And the question being, do Republicans really want to be associated with uh, some of those Republican uh, Mossbacks from uh, the 1930s who made the mistake to endorse uh, isolationist and impeachment and, and appeasing politics. Uh, that regarding, by the way, not only uh, the uh, Nazi German threat, but the ongoing threat of Stalinism and the great starvation that was enforced on the Ukrainian people, the Holodomor, by Joseph Stalin. Uh, we will get to that, that again on our Substack column right now. And we are also uh, going to be talking a little bit about embryos. And <laughs> again, have you seen an embryo recently? They're very little. 
they're very sacred. They are amazing because that's going to grow into a person someday if it's allowed to and if things are right. But uh, fertilized embryos are a, a new battlefront in the state of Alabama. Why? Because of a law that was passed in 1871 that said that uh, you could be sued, you could be liable, you could be punished if you were careless of your handling with children. That, that's very typical to a lot of laws that have been passed over the last 100, 200 years protecting children. The question is, is a fertilized embryo a child? And why is this a question anyone particularly concern, is concerned about? Because of this entire phenomenon called IVF, in vitro fertilization, do you believe it? More than 2% of the babies born in the United States, and this is babies who are carried to term, who were born, who are part of our world, 2% were born through in vitro fertilization. It is about as pro-life uh, a phenomenon as one could find. And why it's suddenly controversial is a complicated but very important provocation. Uh, we will be back on The Michael Medved Show, joined in just a bit by Joel Kotkin and uh, Arthur Hermans, who says that uh, Joe Biden is perhaps the most destructive and disappointing president in history. Yeah, even worse than... The Michael Medved Show. I mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, today that it's, it's a particularly strong day for seeing how even the same news stories can be encouraging for the two different coalitions at the same time. You could have a big news story about a big new poll uh, that looks terrible for Joe Biden. At the same time, there are other figures from that very same poll that look very encouraging. Okay, encouraging news for Joe Biden has been kind of um, uh, hard to find recently. But here's some. Uh, the Quinnipiac University poll, which is a very distinguished poll. It actually has a good uh, history of relative accuracy uh, in terms of its analysis of all of the various states and the competition last time between Biden and Trump and previously even. A Quinnipiac poll was very early showing that it was close to a tie between Hillary and Trump. It was not one of those polls that had shown, oh my gosh, Hillary's got this thing in the bag. They never took that position. Anyway, they uh, uh, are now saying that uh, Biden is holding on to his lead over President Trump, the GOP front runner. This is contrary to a lot of other polls that show Trump pulling away from Biden. But the new Quinnipiac University poll, and Quinnipiac University is a, a small but very interesting college not far from the Yale University campus in New Haven, Connecticut. So uh, in the new poll, the potential rematch between uh, the two uh, daughtering granddaddies uh, shows that uh, 49% of registered voters, not likely voters, said they support Biden 
compared to 45 percent who chose Trump, uh, leaving a bunch of other voters who can go over to whoever they decide to put up on a no labels ticket if they are going to field one, and that is now much in doubt. Uh, that could go anywhere, uh, and also showing a less of a force behind the Robert F. Kennedy campaign. Maybe that's one of the reasons he announced yesterday he's going to be disclosing his uh, choice for his running mate. A lot of uh, conversation focused on former Democratic uh, representative in the United States House from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she now describes herself as an independent, as does Robert F. Kennedy. But uh, the the campaign they're waging, the other polling seems to show, uh, basically would take votes away from Biden and help Trump. Uh, meanwhile, the same poll from Quinnipiac University, uh, most voters say Biden-Trump both mentally unfit for a second term. Uh, this is not particularly good news for either of them, but it is certainly better news for Trump than for Biden because uh, it is not quite as uh, pointed an issue with Donald Trump and the way that he now comes across as it is with Biden, who projects not confidence and certainty, but frailty and confusion which is not what you want, ideally. Yeah, vote for the frail and confused Joe Biden. No, that's not the, the way to win an election. American voters are broadly skeptical, says the news from Quinnipiac University, that uh, President Joe Biden is mentally fit to serve a second term. And most do not think his potential general election rival, Donald Trump, is mentally fit either, according to a Quinnipiac University poll published yesterday. Uh, 64% of respondents in the poll said Biden was mentally unfit for another term, a bleak data point for the president in a survey where he nonetheless outperformed his top-line numbers in many other polls. 51% of voters told the pollsters they didn't think that Trump was mentally fit for a second term on Pennsylvania Avenue. But in terms of the mental fitness, I mean, Biden finding that 64% think he's unfit and more than half think uh, Trump is unfit. No wonder uh, one of the prospects that people are looking at today, Carl Rove wrote about this, is this becoming the first campaign since 2012 where participation actually went down from the last campaign. In other words, we have been having rising participation. We had it in 2008 because of the novelty of Barack Obama being the first national nominee of color. And, of course, he was a, a young uh, and, and somewhat exotic campaign for uh, the American public as he talked about himself in a self-deprecating and winning way. Uh, Obama called himself that guy with a funny name, with the big funny ears. And uh, yes, he had the ability to uh, highlight what were considered some of his campaign weaknesses, which turned out to convince people to vote for hope and change. In any event, uh, year after year after year, elections have uh, gone up in terms of participation. They didn't 
uh, in uh, 2012. And uh, uh, they did, however, last year. They went up dramatically from what they were in 2016. Uh, Meanwhile, with uh, all of this uh, going on, there is the issue that we are going to get to because uh, there's a claim by Charles Blow that uh, we are sliding toward theocracy. And it's interesting. I think most religious people uh, look at something like that and they say sliding toward theocracy? Really? How? Where is it that the government is imposing its religious ideas? And Charles Blow uh, gives the example of the uh, embryos being treated as children uh, by a court ruling in Alabama. First of all, I think this is going to be resolved fairly quickly because it does not have a lot of support, but we will get to that. Uh, We will uh, also get to uh, one other survey uh, that shows a one-sided victory for a Republican uh, running against Biden, but not the Republican who is likely to be the nominee against Biden. That would be Donald Trump. Uh, the uh, Jim Garrity has a piece in the National Review. Oh, no big deal. Just a survey showing Nikki Haley beating Biden 58 to 42 percent. Insert uh, all appropriate caveats here says Jim Garrity in National Review. It's only one poll. The margin is probably an outlier, and we don't select presidents through national opinion polls. But the latest Marquette Law School poll, National Survey, National Survey has some absolutely eye-popping numbers in a hypothetical matchup between Joe Biden and Nikki Haley, currently a distant second in the GOP presidential primary. We'll talk about those eye-popping numbers and more with Joel Kotkin discussing the future of each of the two big parties coming up on The Medved Show. There's a time where someone from the outside has to step in and take control. Michael Medved. And on the Michael Medved Show, of course, a political party uh, has a job. And the job is not just to win an election here and there. It's to build a long-term coalition of Americans who have at least enough in common to keep them together for political battles that occur really every two years, actually every one year in America. I mean, there's a big battle coming up in New Jersey that's coming up this year. Uh, I mean, uh, actually, uh, coming up in 2025, after the presidential election. Uh, It's one of those odd uh, numerology questions where New Jersey does not go according to the rest of the country. Uh, What is the country doing in terms of its political direction? One of the experts who writes about that and studies it is Joel Kotkin, who is a fellow in urban studies at Chapman University in Orange, California. He writes about demographic, social, and economic trends in the U.S. and internationally. 
He is listened to by people on the left. He is listened to by people on the right. And he's listened to by people in the center. He's a regular contributor to the Daily Beast, as well as to the conservative magazine, The Spectator. So, Joel, what you're talking about is that class and uh, your economic status is going to take precedence over other factors, and this maybe is a very big problem right now for American liberals. Why? Well, okay, basically, um, the problem that the American left has um, in general is they are not really offering a lot to people unless they work for the government. So essentially, for instance, you really have, it's not just a question of, of, of class per se, but also how do you make your living? If you work in what my friend calls the carbon economy, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're in construction, if you're in, um, if you're in the energy industry, if, if you're in agriculture, logistics, manufacturing, you're contributing to global warming, according to the, you know, the ideology of, of the left. And so your job should really be um, uh, eliminated. And, of course, what happens is we just, they just go somewhere else. They emit more GHG and we buy them. But that's, that's part of the stupidity of it. But the, if you work for the government, if you work in health care, if you work in education, a big government is kind of good for you. Um, it's what pays your pensions. It's what pays your bills. So there's this huge division within the middle class. Then there's an enormous group of people who are working at low-end jobs with really no hope of moving up. And they look at democratic pol- you know, policies to a large extent as not really in their interest. Um, and, of course, you do have the cultural issues as well. I mean, Generally speaking, working class people are more patriotic, less likely to sort of uh, favor the transgender uh, agenda, if you will, uh, much less likely to be concerned about climate change, where if you reverse it to the very high end of the society, their priorities are from a different planet. I mean, they, they think Americans have much too much freedom. This is the top one percent. Americans have top, uh, too much freedom. They um, we we should ration um, gasoline, meat, um, electricity. Um, the vast majority of Americans don't want that. Um, so the the problem the Democrats have is that their class agenda, if you will, um, is in opposition to a large part of what was once the party's base. And you're you're not far uh, away, but you you haven't gotten to it yet. There are two factors that we read about a lot more often than we read about these economic pocketbook concerns that uh, you're writing about as your most recent piece in uh, um, the American Mind uh, publication. It's posted on our website, michaelmedved.com. You're not talking about the education gap where there seems to be a strong correlation between people who have a college degree or more uh, being drawn to the Democratic Party, uh, whereas people who, without a college degree, the traditional American working class, which used to be the heart and soul of the Democratic Party, that is moving in a more pro-Trump, pro-Republican direction. 
And then, right. of course, there's the issue of religion, which is related. Uh, but uh, the religious turnout, I just looked it up. That it, in 2020, Trump lost the election, but he won self-described evangelical Christians with 82% of their votes. What's going on here? Well, that's one of those bizarre things. I mean, it's hard to find someone who's more of a moral reprobate than Donald Trump. I mean, he's a... <laughs> He's an advertisement for it. But I think what, what's happened, and this is one of Biden's many miscalculations, is he decided to bend over backwards to the most extreme cultural progressives, if you will, um, um, that surround him. And therefore, he systematically alienated people and made them even less likely uh, to, uh, to favor Biden. Um, but I think that the, to me, the economic issues are going to be the critical ones. Um, I mean, yes, the evangelicals, but the evangelicals have been voting Republican for a long time. It's the working class and the private sector middle class that Biden has to get enough support in uh, to be reelected. And what, of course, is interesting is, particularly among Latinos, is he's doing very poorly um, because guess what? Latinos are in the carbon economy. You know, you just the other day, I I, I had a, a car take you know, taking me to the airport, um, and and um, and the same thing when I got to Florida to see my my wife's um, mother, and what was so amazing to me, both times they said they understood that the 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 climate change policies of the Biden administration are a direct threat to their livelihoods. There, they, these people aren't. They may not have PhDs, but they're not stupid. And uh, what about the uh, immigration issue? You would think that for a lot of uh, working class, um, maybe naturalized citizens who are here, who are Latinos and Asians, that uh, uh, President Trump's hard line on immigration would be a mixed bag. Well, of course, the vast majority of Latinos in America are either born here or have been here a long time, they, they don't like the idea that there are vast numbers of people moving into their cities and sort of, in some senses, trying to get or receiving resources they want. Now, as much as this is an issue among Latinos, which is somewhat true, it's really an issue among African-Americans. Because, you know, what does, you know, you think Brandon Johnson, mayor of Chicago, oh, we're going to be a sanctuary city. This is a city with an enormous poverty population, and you're going in and you're going to put in, you know, you're going to have 30,000, 40,000 migrants, and you're going, to, you're going to let them sleep in the parks and the rec centers. Um, it, it, it's insane. And, and so I think that, that the immigration policy is in some ways an economic issue. The other thing is it's pretty clear that since most of these immigrants are at the low end of the skills uh, uh, equation, they, if they go to work, they're only going to compete against the people at, at the lower end of the economic spectrum and, and uh, reduce the, the uh, pressure on wages, well, one, one which of is the, the one good thing. One of the numbers you have in your piece, which is just stunning, is that uh, Trump got 8% of the black vote last time. It's one of the reasons he lost. And this time he's uh, moving up. He may have a black running mate. Who knows? Tim Scott is a good chance. But Trump right now is getting 22 percent of the black vote, which is historically high and could even be decisive. 
Uh, the American Mind, Class of 24. That's the title of the piece by Joel Kotkin. Posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. We'll be right back with more on shifting trends and the message from CPAC. That and more coming up on the Medved Show. Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, today is the day of the uh, opening of the annual CPAC meeting. That's the Conservative Political Action Committee uh, put on by a combination of conservative organizations. In the past, a lot of CPAC has been paid for by the NRA. Uh, the NRA is busy fighting for its very life. Uh, Basically, they've had to see the resignation of Wayne LaPierre and they're standing trial right now for misusing donors' money. I mean, fabulous amounts of money. One of the charges is that Wayne LaPierre was spending a half a million dollars on wardrobe and uh, using donated money to defend Second Amendment rights because heaven knows you need to have uh, the right suits and the well-cut slacks and the uh, expensive shoes. But with all of that going on, there was a, a, a jolt of electricity and of real electricity with uh, Lara Trump. Uh, Lara Trump, and I know, I, I, it, because it's written Lara, and Lara is like Lara's theme from Dr. Zhivago, if you may remember that old movie, and that great uh, Nobel Prize winning novel, at least Boris Pasternak, who wrote it, uh, was a Nobel Prize winner. Anyway, she is President Trump's daughter-in-law. She is married to uh, to Eric Trump, who didn't have such a good outcome in court with Judge Ergoron, but let's put that aside for a moment. She has been named by President Trump to be co-chair of the Republican National Committee. And when she came out, uh, big radiant presence, big personality, uh, Laura Trump got a, a pretty huge uh, ovation from the sparse turnout that was there. And uh, she got some cheers from the CPAC crowd. Uh, clip nine, listen. So some of you may have heard that I've had the great honor of being endorsed by my father-in-law, President Trump, to co-chair the Republican National Committee. I got some fans in here, okay. You guys like this idea. Well, I'll tell you guys, this is a position for which I never imagined I would run, but I also never imagined that our country would be in such dire straits. It is time for change. It is time to fight. And it is time to win, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Uh, that's uh, Laura Trump. She went on to say something that I think was very important to say to this crowd at CPAC. And it's very important for her to articulate as a co-chair for the Republican National Committee. It's just common sense, but Common sense has become extremely uncommon in American politics right now. Lara Trump's once more. This is clip 11. As Republicans, I get it. We like to go vote 
on election day. It's exciting to be a part of that day. It's exciting to fill out the ballot for the future leader of our country. Heck, you even get a little sticker and then you can take a photo and post it on social media. I know, it's very fun. But the truth is, if we want to compete with the Democrats, we cannot wait until election day. If we want to compete and win, we must embrace early voting. The days of waiting until election day to vote are over. We have to encourage everyone who can legally vote to go do so as soon as they legally can. We need so many votes banked for Donald J. Trump that we're not playing catch up on election day. You go vote and then you take your neighbor, your friend, your dentist, heck, I don't care, someone you met on the street, as long as they're voting the right way, every single day up to and on November 5th, because this November, every single legal vote matters. Okay, that's uh, uh, something that is uh, more confidence building, don't you think, than the idea that they're going to plan to steal the election. Uh, And she seems to have a little bit of a disagreement from the message that her father-in-law is sending, which is that we uh, may not know if every vote counts because one of the things that I think is very, very likely is that we're going to have a disputed election again. Somebody's going to dispute it, uh, whoever is behind. Ben Carson, for instance, talking about Donald Trump's underdog status. If there is an underdog status, the underdog status is because, as the uh, leader of CPAC said, we'll get to that later, uh, President Trump is being tortured And why is he being tortured? This is what Dr. Ben Carson, who is also considered a vice presidential possibility, this is what he told the gathering at CPAC. And now our justice system has been weaponized against the administration's top political competitor with absurd witch hunts from every corner of the country. It reminds me of the old Soviet slogan, you show me the man and I will find you the crime. They are throwing everything they have. Think about it. Everything they have, they're throwing at President Trump because they're desperate to stop him. And they're desperate to stop you and me. Trump's only crime is representing the American people first. And for that, you know, for that, they're trying to put him in jail for the rest of his life tie him up in court, take all of his assets. They are terrified of him. They are incredibly unfair. And if we allow this to happen, America will never be the same again. We have to stop it. Okay. Uh, Remember when uh, President Trump was characterizing Joe Biden before he became crooked Joe, he was sleepy Joe? Uh, the, The energy level of a Ben Carson address, even an address with lots of applause lines for CPAC, uh, not a super high energy level. Uh, Matt Schlapp, uh, despite the fact that he's facing multiple accusations of sexual assault, it's another story. Um, He believes that somebody else with um, uh, some admitted problems in in that sphere, I mean, uh, when they're a star, they let you do it. If you remember that, Access Hollywood, 
In any event, he talks about Donald Trump as a victim of torture. Listen, clip eight. Because there's an important thing going on in our country in which the whole world is watching. And that is, there is a unique American who is being persecuted, who is being tortured, who is the victim of the democratic policies based on the world's worst dictators, whether it be Putin or whether it be Xi, the Democratic Party and Joe Biden, doing everything they can to collude, to use the deep state, to use lawfare, to put Donald Trump in prison. Can, can we send a loud CPAC message to President Donald J. Trump and his family that we stand four square with him? Uh, that's um, basically the idea of the Trump uh, as the victim of torture. What's fascinating to me is how comfortable people seem to be on the right with claiming the title of victim. And again, people don't usually say that, well, what you want representing your side is a, a victimized warrior or somebody who has suffered through the agonies of torture. Now, someone who suffered through the agonies of torture and survived or triumphed, that can be an inspiring story. But uh, to, to go back to the story, as I think you have to, if you're going to be taking this tack, the story of the so-called stolen election and the idea that despite the fact that uh, the numbers show that President Trump lost the election in the popular vote by more than 7 million votes, and he lost some of the crucial states for him by higher votes than he wants to even acknowledge, 150,000 votes in Pennsylvania, for instance. Uh, with, with all of that, this is um, uh, going to be showing a maybe a, a, a bitter election where the Republicans are determined to scare Democrats away from the polls and Democrats are determined to scare Republicans away from the polls and no one shows up. So that means which side is more determined and more dedicated. And on that issue, uh, anyone who doesn't see a Trump advantage at the moment uh, may not be paying close enough attention to this greatest nation on God's green earth.